0: Welcome to the MASH Startup Podcast. This podcast explores the journeys behind some of Africa's emerging entrepreneurs, startups, and small businesses. The MASH Startup Podcast profiles the most talented creators, impactful entrepreneurs, and high-performing professionals with the purpose to drive insights, learnings, and tactics to help you build what you believe in.
1: Hi, I'm uh, Thomas Brenham, I'm the CEO of FRANK, an investing app that's trying to democratize access to investing and making it super easy and accessible for, for all South Africans.
2: Sib. Hi guys, I'm Seb Bell, I'm CEO of FRANK. Um, my background is really, I'm an investment actuary and I've worked previously in financial services for the better part of the last 15 years. Uh, in investment banking and more recently in an investment management company.
0: That's great. Thank you guys so much for the, firstly, for the time. Um, Tom, I know you are in Shanghai, which is amazing. I'm pretty sure this is only my second um, interview with someone that's on a different continent. The last one was in Australia. Um, What time is it even where you are? (laughs)
1: It's uh, coming on quarter past six in the evening uh, in Shanghai.
0: Okay. So much better coordination than Australian time, I think. Um, so just to get started, um, what is the story of how Frank um,
1: started? And where did this come about? Great. Well, let me take a stab at that. Um, so, you know, firstly, you know, Seb and I have known each other for a long time. We actually studied together at UCT and lived in the same uh, residence. So... As said, mentioned, he did actuarial science. I did engineering, electrical and computer engineering. Um, I then spent uh, most of my early career in the health sector where I was trying to develop technology to help people make better decisions when it came to their health. Um, I tried to start two companies, one in South Africa and one overseas in the States. Um, It turns out it's actually a very hard problem and unfortunately there's not a lot of money to be made in keeping people healthy. So after returning to South Africa and starting to work for Discovery in their product development team in 2005, I had a sort of first-hand experience of the financial services industry, obviously where I'd been used to um, a little bit more advanced in, in England and in America where I'd done my studies, my, my PhD, and uh, done some, some work at MIT. So when I came back, I just saw shock sure, the the experience was really bad you know this was the first time i was earning uh, kind of my own salary really you know proper salary apart from being an academic uh, and you know sort of a uh, a broke student so i had some money i needed to think about what to do with that um but obviously i i kind of trusted my own mind to be able to make a good decision so you know the frank uh was really the product of having conversations with financial advisors who would never give me a straight answer Uh, and then when they did try sell me something I would kind of go back to them by you know with inquiries and I even put together a model one time and sent it to the guy and he actually didn't reply to my mail he ghosted Mm. me. So like immediately I was suspicious as to what's going on. So the more I kind of went into the rabbit hole of investing I realized that there were just real challenges, Um, challenges of access. So high minimums, kind of stopping a lot of people from accessing challenges of complexity. So there's kind of real information asymmetry between the people that make the products and by proxy, the people that sell the products mm. with kind of everyday people and definitely perpetuating that information asymmetry and not really allowing people to understand keeping it opaque because obviously that benefits complex fee structures and, and the like. So yeah, I, I I thought this was terrible. I thought uh, I could do something better. So I started actually building the app to solve a very personal need. And obviously, you know, there's a there's a personal backstory. My family not has not been great with money, so I never really had a sort of a home education when it came to money. So as I was sort of putting this together and putting uh, and building the app, you know, uh, Seb and I started talking. Uh, I told him about what I was doing um, and it it resonated with him where where he was in in his uh, career as well. And I'll let Seb speak to that. But yeah, that from my side was at least a personal experience about how unnecessarily complex investing was, how inaccessible it was, and obviously wanting very personally to kind of get access. So creating an app, creating a platform that would help me and hopefully help a lot of other people do the same. Yeah. Um, uh, Seb, I don't know if you want to kind of give your story or your side of it as well.
0: Yes, please. Seb.
2: Cool. I don't know. Okay, sure. Yeah. So, you know, from a qualification point of view and just general experience, practical experience, you know, investing myself and also from a career uh, perspective, I've always been in financial services. Like I said, I've always followed, uh, you know, investing and investments generally. So, as a like financial person in my family, and, you know, amongst uh, certain of my friends, I often got asked, uh, you know, by these people where they should be, you know, putting their money, uh, where best to invest, you know, and these are not, and uh, these are smart people, you know, they're sort of professionals in their own right, but they just didn't know where or how to invest, you know, so when Tom mm-hmm. started chatting to me about building Frank, uh, it, it it sort of struck a chord with me, because I had personal experience of people not knowing what to do. And I knew why they weren't doing Uh, you know, doing anything just because, you know, there's lots of complex products out there. And, you know, sort of uh, once you start trying to do uh, some sort of homework on it, you know, you almost paralyzed with the choice and the complications, which, like Tom said, often these product providers do on purpose so that you need to outsource it to a financial advisor so that they can make a a commission, you know, because a lot of these uh, asset management businesses are very closely tied to Uh, the brokers either directly or indirectly. And, you know, uh, they've got a bit of a perverse incentive to keep this, like, complexity going. So, yeah, when Tom chatted to me, it really resonated with me and uh, I saw the the problem
0: that needs to solve. Yeah. Um, How much do you think... um, Whoa. How much do you think, um, you know, more startups need to be thinking about how they challenge... um, you know, prevailing systems and prevailing sort of um, industries, right? So I think what you spoke about around um, how much more complex and how much more difficult it is to look at an investment, in, um, whether it's an investment instrument. If I wanted to invest today, my first step, I wouldn't know what that first step would be. And, like, I would need to find someone to be able to help me understand just, like, firstly, what it actually looks like and what I should be using, right? Right. Um, how much how important is it for you guys to be the ones that are breaking down those barriers simplifying this and really making it like very straightforward for the average consumer just to go you know what I want to invest in something I want to do something for myself and for my future how how much um how, how important is that to you as a company and as just founders yeah
1: so let me take a stab at that i think it's it's critically important. Um, You know, I think a big motivation, at least for me, has always been developing technology that can have an impact. Um, And I think particularly when it comes to matters of money, um, you know, it's no, um, what's the word, you know, where previously I was very passionate about healthcare, and obviously there's a a very big social element of healthcare, individual Mm -hmm. health and public health. Uh, which obviously we're getting to experience firsthand now in kind of the times of COVID, Um, I think financial matters are as important. And obviously you can think of the ability of realizing financial freedom uh, and how important that is for you and for your family and for the people that depend on you. So, you know, as a a startup that's motivated on really trying to tackle quite a major social issue, Uh, and particularly in South Africa, where there's such large wealth inequality and income inequality, it really is one of the primary drivers for, at least, you know, as founders, us dedicating a significant chunk of our time and our efforts and our resources to trying to solve. Mm. Um, The one other thing, which is obviously, I suppose, to be mentioned in part, is always looking for the opportunity, but obviously asking, why has it not been addressed? Um, And I think there is some... Uh, there are some challenges, right? There are challenges of access, there are challenges of education, but there's also um, incentive, or a disincentive at least for the incumbents to try and solve that issue. So, as said mentioned, you know a lot of the existing players in the market are already making enough money servicing a very small percentage of the population. About five percent of South Africa currently has discretionary investing, discretionary investments. So they're making enough money for themselves through their current ecosystem. So there isn't enough of an incentive for them to try and extend that to the rest of the population because it's too hard to educate, or it's too difficult to access, or their fixed costs are too high, whatever the case may be. So obviously we saw an opportunity, but also I think both of us share a common motivation of trying to solve the problem, you know, which is a real intangible, which could have a real intangible impact, not only to South Africa, but looking more broadly across the continent.
0: Yeah. Speaking of um, wealth inequality and just South Africa's sort of financial landscape, um, in terms of a savings and investment culture, where is South Africa um, currently? Um, Seb? Sure. Yeah. I mean, South Africans generally
2: save a lot. Um, You know, it depends on what reports you read. Sometimes you'll see like our savings um is in the negative just because they're taking debt into account, right? So South Africa has got a huge debt problem. But sort of in tandem, people do save a lot. The people that uh put money aside save, but they don't invest. Right. So as Tom mentioned, the education job that we need to do is to teach people, listen, saving and investing is different. Just putting your money in a tin can or under a mattress, it's great in that you you know putting money aside, but you actually need to get your money working for you um, and put it into an investment product that's either going to beat inflation if it's for a short-term purpose or if you're investing for the longer term, you know, can get you returns of, you know, the long-term uh, stock, ter- stock market returns around 15% a year, you know. Um, so, you know, if you compare that to like wage or salary inflation over the last, you know, 15, 20, 30 years or whatever it's probably coming out at about 5%. You know, so people are only earning 5% more, but if they had it, actually invested it, you know, they could be earning 15%. And that's where, you know, uh, we see the rich getting richer. And that's why that inequality uh, increases as opposed to closing because the rich people, you know, make their money work for them. They know how to uh, invest. Poorer people, they get stuck into debt. They save, but they don't invest, you know, so the problem gets worse.
0: Yeah. And how do you affect, change, or impact um, that culture? and really, like, try to change that landscape?
1: I mean, it's a tough question. I think um, it's a tough challenge. I think, obviously, our primary focus at the moment is to help, um, is to let there be a community upliftment, right? So yeah. instead of us having to go kind of door to door and say, listen, you know, this is the smart thing to do, as Seb just said, you know, uh, you've got to in inflation. And obviously, you probably need to educate about what inflation is. Um And you know if you want to invest for the long term, this is the best thing to do with your money, as opposed to put it under the mattress we 'd far rather get a group of people mobilized around this idea of basically taking control of their finances um, and being able to kind of access good products um, and kind of take ownership of their their financial freedom and allowing then kind of your neighbors to be the kind of people that being like actually. Have you heard about this? This is like, you know, the simplest thing to do. And it's a sort of a no-brainer to kind of try have that be sort of the real game-changing effect as opposed to sort of having to kind of like knock on doors. Because the reality is now, I think most people, especially when it comes to financial services, I think the vast majority, almost 70% of people will follow a recommendation from a friend. Mm. So at least that's our strategy um, because by having the trust come through a trusted third party, you know, we don't necessarily have to do the heavy lifting because we're a startup, uh, you know, we're a new brand in the market. You know, people may, may not have heard of us before. And obviously in a context like South Africa and, and many other African countries where there's very high rates of sort of financial fraud, there's a lot of uh, trust issues, uh, just understandably so. So we'd far rather to kind of earn that trust. And once we've earned that trust, allows sort of the community of people that we are empowering to kind of be those sort of, you know, change agents uh, for getting other people to adopt.
0: Yeah. Would you say this sort of influences um, how you think about marketing and actually growing adoption for the platform?
2: Yeah, it does. I mean, like Tom said, the the two biggest challenges are the education, so around financial literacy um, and also um, the bu- building of uh, trust, right? So there's a lot of people that have been scammed, you know, these uh, Ponzi schemes, uh, that, but that's also, you know, because they're chasing, uh, high returns. Um, people have got a bad relationship with financial service products because they've been overcharged, uh, you know, uh, service has been bad. So definitely in terms of how we try and market the product, you know, so you would have seen we use, uh, influencers, specifically financial influencers to help, help build. Brand awareness, but also the trust, right? To so these influencers will say, "Okay, I've used this product; it's legit; it works." People, you know, take a lot of stock into what their influencers, their followers say, and you know, we that's a big sort of avenue for for growth for us. Uh, you know, the challenge is finding
0: finding the right
2: influencers, but the ones that we've used have worked generally well
0: for us. Yeah, and how do you sort of define or think about the ideal customer that should be using Frank? Um, who is this person what are they doing on a daily basis and what do you think um, that how how do you think that sort of target market or that client will evolve over the next say five to ten years as you know South Africa's economy sort of goes digital a lot more uh, with more people sort of going to different um, growth paths in terms of careers and stuff like that Um yeah
1: Um, Let me start, Seb, and then you can finish off. Uh, I think it's worthwhile sharing kind of the work we did around our sort of super users. Um, So, you know, our our initial hypothesis, MASH, was really that this was gonna be um, catering for people that are very comfortable using their phones to do kind of most of their daily activities. So definitely we were very aware initially, or the assumption was that we were going after young people. So like, let's say age 20 to 35, Um, Realize there's a lot of interest in that space when it comes to investing Uh, and that actually came through, you know, Google Trends allows you to kind of look at the popularity of search terms around the world and compare countries and regions. South Africa uh, is still in the top five for the search term how to invest, which is remarkable Mm -hmm. if you consider that as mentioned earlier only 5% of the population is actually investing. Uh, And that's, that's beating out countries like America where about over 60% of the population invests. So, you know, that kind of like blew my mind. And obviously, given that our average age as a country is, I think it's currently around like 22, it's invariable that a lot of that interest is coming from kind of, you know, the young elements of our population who have a mobile phone, who are accessing the internet, you know, who are, who are curious and want to do things differently. So, that was our kind of assumption going in. And then more recently, um, you know, we kind of uh, underwent a bit of an exercise to really speak to our initial users, you know, were our assumptions correct, who actually is using us, and then trying to kind of segment and understand them in a bit more detail. And Seb actually kind of drove a lot of that work. So, uh, Seb, Arden, if you want to carry on.
2: Yeah, so, like Tom said, you know, 20 to 35 young professional, either first job. Uh, or you know second or third job. We actually were quite surprised over the last year that a lot of students were signing up. So slightly younger than than 20 years old. Um, you know when I was a student, you know investing wasn't top of mind. But a lot of people these days are obviously a lot more responsible. And I think why that came about is because people were potentially getting the same uh, pocket money or stipend that they were getting before COVID, and now they didn't have the travel expenses or you know they were staying at home, so they didn't need to spend money on food, and they had extra cash to put away. And they were looking for uh, a safe place to to invest. And a lot of them are, are using Frank. So that was a COVID uh, result of COVID, I guess. Mm. Um, but yeah, people that want convenience, they don't want to you know worry about paperwork. They just want to sort of sit and forget. Uh, there are some sort of young parents as well that are opening up accounts for for kids, which we you know we can facilitate, but yeah generally 20 to 35 early early in their career looking knowing knowing that they should be investing um and you know want something easy to to use
0: yeah um how do you sort of assess the landscape of you know other sort of investment platforms so say for example the massive explosion of robinhood um in the us um and sort of uh, retail investors um, how do you think that will evolve over time as a trend, and how do you think it sort of affects or influences the work that you guys are doing? Um, I know your model's much different um, in that it doesn't it doesn't need the, the 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 actual user to invest in specific stocks or anything like that. Um, but how do you think um, that influences
1: or um, impacts um, the landscape? So let me take a start there again. Um, so, you know, when I think of investing, I think of uh, a couple of uh, dimensions, right? The first is obviously risk. So, you know, there's high risk and kind of like low risk, and I think everyone can fall along those lines. And obviously, you know, as part of our our uh, responsibility as a licensed robo advisor, we need to understand somebody's kind of risk carrying capacity and give them a good recommendation. Mm. The other is let's call it. Um, kind of the convenience or kind of how much time they want to dedicate to managing their own money. Uh, Some people have uh, an interest in it, an aptitude for it, and are happily willing to kind of give up a chunk of their time on a regular basis to kind of actively manage their own personal money. And other people are just, you know, like Seb mentioned, kind of invest and forget. I want to know that I'm doing something smart with my money and then let that be. Obviously, you can imagine that sort of carves out quite a large... Uh, space in the market for different operators to play that are speaking to different groups. So I think the likes of Robinhood, for example, and Easy Equities in South Africa very much cater towards the kind of Mm. risk-orientated, kind of actively managed cohort. Uh, And that's great. You know, my one caution is if you look at the data, actually retail investors don't tend to do well uh, and I think that's more, um, even more important when you've got kind of Robinhood actually, which makes money by selling your trading data to large institutional players. Like that's how their business model works. And it, you know, recognizing nothing's for free. You, know, you, are, you are the product in that yeah. sense. Your trades are the product. Yeah. So the entire ecosystem is getting you to trade. Uh, Easy equities is a brokerage, they operate on the same basis. They make money the more you trade. And the difficulty is, is that actually, in many instances, trading frequently uh, doesn't necessarily lead to good results. You know, you'd know, like to think that you can buy low and sell high, but more often than not, you're making irrational decisions so you can sometimes you know, buy high because everyone else has eventually said, like Tesla's a good thing, yeah. and then the stock comes crashing down and then you sell low. So actually doing that well, Uh, is very difficult, so which is why I think Seb and I decided to rather focus on helping the vast majority of people who are not actually in the sort of actively high risk taking kind of segment of the society, but want to do well, you know, kind of make good decisions with their money. And that's where we kind of would like to play by helping people get access to good products, which otherwise were inaccessible because of kind of minimums that were in place. Yeah. Um. And help them make a good decision in terms of how much risk they should be exposed to, given their personal financial situation. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I just for the, want to add
2: to, to what Tom said there. So, um. I mean, generally, you know, uh, sort of the proliferation of those types of products like Robinhood, Equities, has been positive for us because more people are aware that these products exist. More people are aware of investing. Generally, more people are aware that. Uh, access to investing is easy and as possible, so they look out i mean they they search for how to invest you know like Tom said so investment apps and investment platforms over the last year really boomed you know uh r- largely as a result of covid people have had more time to spend on their phones more and realize that you know they should have been investing and saving you know uh, and now they're getting into it um and forcing sort of digital adoption you know so I think all sorts of businesses that are linked to financial uh, products have, have really done well. Um, yeah. And I th- like Tom said, the unfortunate thing is, you know, like since April, the market has been a one way bet generally. Uh, so you do have a lot of day traders out there that think that they uh, are unbeatable. But unfortunately, that's going to uh, end at some stage. You know, uh, the market will, will drop. And, uh, you yeah. know, that's yeah. why the product and the sort of behavior that we are. Uh, pushing is very different. It's just
0: consistent, steady investing. You know, not trying to time the market. Yeah. So, in the sort of onboarding um, to get onto the platform, um, I know you guys have that sort of risk assessment. That's just like low risk, medium risk, um, high. Um, and can you please go into sort of how that works? Um, so, if someone wants to, you know, never invested before, you don't even know what your risk profile is. Um, how does Frank actually work um, from an investment perspective? So if I put in, say, a thousand rand and I say, hey, I'm a medium guy, um, what actually happens in the back?
1: Sure. So do you maybe want to talk about the products and then I can talk a little bit about the risk assessment?
2: Okay. Yeah, so so, so that's around. just how it works is that
1: um,
2: you can you can come on and effectively we we ask you what you're saving towards and what your time horizon is. Right. And effectively, if your time horizon is three years or less, then we push you towards uh, investing only in cash because we, we feel that uh, to invest in the stock market, you need to have a time horizon of at least three years. Right. So if you tell me, if you come onto the app and you say, OK, I'm saving for a holiday, it's uh, in 18 months time, I want to save 20,000 Rand, we'll say, OK, it's 18 months, we're going to push you into all cash. You know, this is you need to invest 1,050 Rand or whatever the number is per month in order to get to your goal, right? If you come onto the app and you say, Okay, I want to invest for education, right? And this is five or ten years away, then we're gonna say, Okay, um, do you know how you want to invest your money? And then we go to those like pre-selected buckets which you mentioned, which you mentioned, and we'll say, Okay, if you know, then we've got a safe option, we've got a balanced option, we've got a bold option. If you don't know, then we suggest that you do our risk assessment. And this is like a questionnaire uh, where we ask you a few questions in order to determine your risk profile. So that's the robo-advice piece in the app. And Tom can talk a bit, too, a bit more about like, what that entails and how that risk is mapped.
1: Yeah. Uh, so going back to some of the products that we offer, fundamentally there's some equity and there's some cash as Seb mentioned. Obviously those two things have fundamentally different characteristics. You know, the cash has, uh, you know, a very low kind of risk associated with it. And up until recently, it was almost like, you know, the interest rate was a steady bet. Obviously, COVID changed that when the government dropped the interest rates. But by and large, you're getting sort of a 2% more than inflation kind of return on that. The equity market, it's a Saptrix product. So it's a basket of shares. It's the basket of the top uh, largest 40 companies on the stock exchange. And that does obviously smooth out all the fluctuations, but it still can fluctuate as the market performs. So what we do with that sort of risk assessment is we measure, measure an individual's capacity to carry risk. And the way we do that is we look at really sort of do a, a health check on their finances. So how much money is coming in? How much money is going out? Mm. How much debt do you have? You know, How much debt do you have to service on a monthly basis? How many dependents do you have? are you able to sort of provide for those dependents if an emergency happens, like a death in the family or a medical emergency or, you know, unexpected uh, education costs. Um, we we kind of combine all of that information to kind of get a, a rich p- picture of what is your kind of risk carrying capacity. And then we take that into consideration with your timeline. So once we have that sort of, you know, comprehensive view of your sort of, individual finances, as they relate not only to you, but obviously to your dependents as well, then it's like, okay, well, how far out are we looking? And then by combining those two things together, we can say, okay, you know, we think you can carry so much risk. And that risk, obviously, is really only the equity component. So, you know, it's an 80-20 split where you can have 80% in equity and 20% in cash. That means that if something were to happen an unexpected event, Hopefully that can be carried by the cash component, so you wouldn't necessarily have to make a withdrawal from you know the stock markets where you know worst case scenario it's going through a bit of a dip, which means that you know you would have to realize those losses as opposed to being able to sort of ride out uh, the equity markets over the full duration of your sort of investment horizon yeah does, future, that, does that sort of make sense oh yeah
0: definitely and like um, I hope it made someone literally download the app right now <laughs> as they actually listen to this. Because it, it, it's, it's the sort of description and sort of breakdown that I don't think we really get from um, investment companies or any investment platforms where they really are open around um, how the actual platform works and how I benefit um, from the education and the resources that, you have, that you've actually built into it. Um, so, what does Frank look like in the next five to ten years from a product perspective? um, can you guys share anything around that? um you know, can I get insurance from apps from frank soon um is Frank gonna be at a bank soon? I mean everyone's doing a bank, so I assume <laughs> what does that look like if you guys can share yeah i mean I'll, um, i'm I'll,
2: I'm smiling I'll because start. I mean go ahead said. Yeah, um, so I think we'll really double down on investments in the, in the short term. Mm. Um, so you know, discretionary investments potentially adding one more equity fund onto the platform, and that would pro- probably be like an S and P 500 because uh, we do have a lot of our customers wanting offshore exposure. You know, so they they love the product, one stop shop. You know, cash, equity, but you know they want exposure to offshore equity. Uh, the trick is for us is to balance. Uh, what our customers want versus not losing the ease of use. Cause when every customer that we ask, you know, why do you like using the product? It's because it's so easy, you know? So, uh, we, whatever we do, we just need to maintain that ease of use, uh, on the, on the interface. And I think we've got some ideas how that can be done. Um, and if I had to choose, I'd say, you know, like a very simple retirement offering, uh, would be, would be next. So sticking to the investment theme. Uh, you know, once we have got decent scale, you know, once a lot of people know about us, they're comfortable to use us for retirement as well as normal discretionary investments. Um, and, you know, after that, we have ideas around insurance and credit. Uh, but I think those would, would come in time. You know, so if you ask for a five-year plan, that those two products would be probably in the five years, but not in the short term.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Tom? If I could just add... Um, so I think the the one key element, and we mentioned it a little bit earlier, around sort of getting a groundswell of community. You know what you've seen um, very clearly is in the exercise domain. Exercise has been um, kind of swept up by sort of digital communities. You think of apps like Strava, which now allow people to engage in a group, challenge one another, push each other. To, you know, to stay in shape and to exercise and, and what have you. And obviously, there are a whole bunch of platforms out there that are doing exactly that. I think, you know, in the past, money was a to-be subject. You know, that it was, you wouldn't necessarily talk with your peers. But what we're finding is actually that that's a generational thing and that's changing. And I think there's a, a new uh, generation that wants to, you know, talk about money, be open about it, you know, excuse the pun, but be frank about it. And we want to be a part of that conversation, and we want to help people uh, help one another to invest. And obviously, there's a lot of financial behavior, which is also collective. You know, you think of traditional stock fills as they currently exist today. That's a group of people coming together with a common purpose of what they want to do with their money. Uh, A lot of that capital, unfortunately, is not being put to use. You know, it's sitting in maybe a bank kind of like you know um club account where it's earning like almost near zero interest you know that's the best case uh the worst case it's it's in a a tin can which is all, all sorts of like security vulnerabilities you know there's a whole opportunity for taking that community uh helping them get access to really good investment products which are complementary to their objectives and that could be anything man that could be a parent and a child you know wanting to educate That could be a group of Uber drivers who want to help each other buy cars. You know, there are a whole host of kind of use cases in that sort of community shared investment ecosystem. Uh, So we've got some thoughts around that and how to kind of really uh, make some strong inroads there. But as I mentioned, the focus at the moment is to really sort of double down on investing and that's also because there's not a lot happening in the market in this space. You know, we've, we've, we've touched on kind of the Robinhood, but, you know, they, those are almost sort of <laughs> in some ways sort of, you know, gambling platforms where they're wanting people to go in and be kind of quick and loose with their money. We, we want to encourage, um, you know, good use of your money, you know, putting your money to work in a responsible way that's also engaging through sort of the social learning aspects uh, and social encouragement aspects. So, yeah, those are sort of my sort
0: of five-year ambitions. Yeah. Um, so I, I know you guys went through um, the Google Accelerator as well as um, Grindstone. Um, how important was um, going through an accelerator um, for you guys? And what do you think your assessment is of South Africa or even just the continent um, incubator and accelerator landscape for entrepreneurs and startups? Sure. Yeah, I think-
1: lots of opinions yeah. about this. You go ahead, Sam. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
2: the ones that uh, that we uh, went through, you know, they helped a lot, especially in terms of like bouncing ideas of people uh, getting access to mentors, people that have been there and done that. You know, I think that's the the problem in in the South African context. You don't have lots of founders that uh, are either like seeding startups or that are you can access for information. You know, we like in South Africa, you can probably count on one hand. You know, the number of startups that have gone to like series B stage or really really uh, shut the lights out that, that lots of people will know. Um, so, yeah, being part of those programs gets you access to people, uh, gets you access to networks, which are which are very important. So, personally, for me, the, the biggest thing out of those programs was the ability to talk to people, uh, talk to other founders. Um, from an investment point of view, it also helps uh, but it brings me on to another topic that I think, you know, South Africa has got a, quite a shortage of, like, uh, early stage capital. Um, it was it, like our fundraising journey is still going on. It's been difficult. Um, lots of people running similar types of businesses will also struggle to, to get seed funding. It's just because the people don't have the risk appetite um, or they only want to fund specific businesses. You know, I think. Uh, generally, investors would rather fund a B2B business rather than a B2C business, you know, just because it's, it's potentially easier. Um, but yeah, but that's getting a bit off the topic. I'm not. I'll let Tom carry on regarding his view on like accelerators and that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, no, thanks, Evan. And I agree definitely. I think you know the grindstone and Google were both really, uh, really helpful. So in terms of kind of giving them a thumbs up and a kind of positive rate of approval, I'd definitely do that. I think one thing it's important to note that um, there is also a bit of uh, an explosion of kind of startup accelerators. So it, it's becoming a new mode of venture capital um, financing. And it's it's tricky because it's not always transparent, you know, a lot of them say, cool, come into our program, but, you know, we're going to take equity because we're giving you services and you have to kind of accept that and there's not a lot of negotiation around that. And I think a lot of... Um, a lot of companies, unfortunately, are kind of exploited. You know, they give away a good chunk of their equity for not a lot of value in return. So actually separating out kind of the valuable uh, the valuable kind of accelerators or incubators from kind of those that are a little bit more dubious, I think. And the only way you can do that effectively is just talk to people. Talk to people who participated. You know, did you find it valuable? And very often you'll get a very honest answer, especially if that resulted in an equity exchange. You know, I had a number of conversations with guys who went through incubators where there was an exchange of equity and the guys are saying that just wasn't worth 5, 6% of my business, you know, full mm-hmm. stop, don't even waste your time. So I think for any would be entrepreneur, like have those conversations, you know, chat to people and I think most, most founders would be very uh, forthcoming and a lot of the guys that I've interacted with are very forthcoming with that type of feedback. Right? It's, sort of a, it's a win-win for everybody in the ecosystem to help each other out. Yeah. Just you know, one other comment, I think, looking at where South Africa stands to uh, what's happening in the rest of the continent, I was shocked you know, that, that out of the 20 Google Accelerator startup companies, only two were from South Africa. Uh, I think seven were from Nigeria, another seven were from Kenya, and then you know, a scattering from the rest of the continent. Uh, As the second largest economy, I think we should be, you know, asking a very introspective question is like, why are we only 10% of the continent's, you know, startups as selected by Google? Mm. I think then you've got to kind of like, you know, ask some hard questions. And there's a lot to be said for what's happening in the ecosystem in Nigeria and the ecosystem in uh, Kenya they, I think they're willing to take more risks, as said mentioned. In South Africa, we've got this a little bit of a gap. There are some players, but they tend to only want to play when it's significantly de-risked. So you're looking at a Series A, Series B, Series C, and there's just a massive gap uh, in terms of capital and unfortunately also in terms of skills at the very early stage. I don't think we've reached an inflection point where people are willing to kind of take on that risk to kind of give up a really cushy corporate salary uh, to kind of go and play in a startup. Um, and I think that's a challenge. And I think obviously I'd encourage more and more South Africans who are hungry, who wanna change you know, problems that they see in the world around them from kind of taking the risk because it, it, it's gonna mean a haircut to your salary or none at all if you wanna actually found a business yourself You know, for the first few years. There's a lot of risk personally around doing that. Um, so yeah. That's a sort of a big answer to a small question. Cool. I think that's like the perfect way to end it with like that
0: sermon around South Africa's startup ecosystem and what really needs to change. I I really, really appreciate your time. I think you guys are building an incredible product and um, I know you guys already have influencers and um, I just want to let you know, I will be joining this team of influencers on my own accord. You don't need to pay me anything. I... (laughs) over the next three months okay and I'm putting this on the podcast because you know at the beginning of this year I I thought about this I was like you know as a young person investing is super important and I thought about what sort of person I am and to me it just it's it's very crazy to think that I would sit there and look at stocks and Frank for me just makes so much sense as a product as an incredible uh, and impact impactful platform as well and I think over the next three months, I want to document my own journey. And I'm I'm putting this on the podcast, mainly because I want people to hold me accountable. I want other people to join on this journey. So if you're listening to this podcast, these guys did not know I was going to do this. I want to join Frank. Um, I'll be putting in, I don't know how much money I would have put in yet, but I'll be putting in a certain amount of money. And I want us all to try this, right? So um, Seb, what's the minimum amount I can put on to Frank? So yeah, we didn't speak
2: to this, but that's one of the beauties of Frank is that there's no minimum. So you can start to 10 Rand, 50 Rand, 100 Rand, whatever you want. And another beauty is that you can invest at any time. So you can invest uh, daily, monthly, once a year, you know, whatever you want. So (laughs) any money that you deposit into, into our account, as long as you use your reference that we can identify it, we'll invest it as you tell us. So like today you can invest all into cash, tomorrow you can invest all into equities you just need to tell us how to
0: invest. cool so if you can afford to listen to a podcast you can afford to listen to to invest in frank and put your money into frank so this is the thing that we're doing you're listening right now download frank um i'm gonna invest and i'm gonna share it on the podcast when we actually um put this up And I want everyone to do this mainly because, one, I think it's super, super impactful, um, the work that you guys are doing. And I think um, it's really important that young people start to think very consciously about their futures, about where their money is going, um, about the things that we're doing for ourselves, but also for the, you know, the world as well, right? So I think... Um, this is a commitment that I'm making personally, and I think at the end of this year, or maybe let's do every three months, um, we'll check in on my Frank account and, like, just have a chat about how things are going. I just think that, you know, I speak to founders where, like, their products are amazing and, like, there's massive impact, but um, you guys have really, really done it, like, at a scale where I think it, it really has it's going to have a massive and i I really want to be part of that in some way so this is me just like making a commitment encouraging other people to do the same because i think this could be really really incredible so thank you guys so much for your time um and yeah i look forward to this journey um of my first investment cool great stuff man great stuff thank you cheers guys Yeah, thanks for having us